host Sophia Vidal on the sixth episode of The First Cut, where we interview top medical professionals, getting answers to your questions, which you might not have had the opportunity to ask, especially during this pandemic. Today, I'm very happy to be joined by Dr. Nicholas Richards. Yeah, so uh, my name's Nick. I'm an intensive care doctor uh, working for Leeds Teaching Hospitals. Um, So I predominantly work in intensive care uh, and I'm also a clinical research fellow uh, undertaking a PhD at University of Leeds. So what does an average day at work look like for you? Uh, The great thing about intensive care is that the average day at work changes massively. Uh, You never know what you're going to end up doing. Um, We get patients from every specialty in the hospital, so um, no two days are the same, um, which is part of the the attraction to to ICU, actually. Um, But there's some routine to it um, you know we review all the patients on the unit we go and see patients out around the hospital uh, we try and support some of our other specialties with difficult cases and, and sick patients uh, and generally try and um, you know look after some of the sickest people in the hospital. So I can imagine COVID has probably hit the ICU uh... As, as a department, probably the hardest, just due to how sick the patients that you look after are. So how has your, your daily life changed because of that? Yeah, having worked in ICU for a while, experiencing pre and post or during COVID, uh, it has changed the shape of the specialty quite a lot. Um, there are some fairly obvious changes, things like having to wear PPE um, for the majority of the days. Um, it's also made uh, the sort of bed issues slightly more complicated at work. Uh, so we obviously have a limited number of beds available, a limited number of nurses to look after patients. Um, and it's definitely put a lot of strain on, on the intensive care and anaesthetic department. Um, some of the patients that we are getting are you know, very sick and poorly patients needing a lot of support. Um, but some of them actually are not needing loads and loads of support, but there's just a lot of them, um, which is also adding a lot of stress. So if you were to go to medical school again, how would you change your approach to it if you would? I would stress less. I think um, there's, there's enough stress to come in your career after leaving medical school. And so, you know, things that, that at the time obviously seem to be very important and the the sort of be all and end all in retrospect probably aren't and um obviously exams are stressful and there are times in the year where it's stressful but um i think you know you you're at university in part to learn but also in part to you know, have some fun and, and do some things that you wouldn't otherwise get to do be involved in societies and sports and things uh and you know make new friends so i'd say yeah definitely worry less and and use your free time to do all those things you want to do. And which university did you go to? Yeah, I went to Sheffield. And did you like it there? Yeah, I absolutely loved it. Um, I I didn't know Sheffield at all when I went there. Uh, So I'm from down south originally. Uh, I'd never been to Sheffield until the open day. And yeah, it's a it's a great university, a great city. Uh, the Peak District was a pretty big attraction for me. 
spending a lot of time outdoors. Um, yeah, it's it was a really nice setup, um, really nice feel. The the city feels very friendly, and um, yeah, I definitely recommend it to anyone looking at Sheffield. So, how did you go about uh, picking a medical school? What did you look for? There were a couple of things that I knew that I wanted to do at med school. So one of which was uh, dissection of cadavers. So that instantly narrowed down the number of med schools that were offering that. Yes. So uh, uh, that was something that I thought was quite important uh, for learning anatomy. Um, then just looking at the sort of structure of the, the course, Sheffield, when I went there, was still split into a kind of preclinical and clinical setup. So you had a couple of years of lectures, uh, which was systems based, and then you went into clinical placements from third year onwards, uh, rather than a more sort of uh, PBL style course, um, which was something that I wanted to do. Um, and then uh, the sort of other things that were available at the university. Um, sports societies and things in the local area yeah so, i mean you're there for a long time studying medicine so you need to have things to do yeah exactly yeah so it's not all about the course but like i said the peak district was a huge attraction i hadn't been to sheffield but i've seen you about the peak district and um it's literally right on the doorstep it's so easy to get to from sheffield and, and that was a big selling point so I'm guessing you did get to that dissector cadaver then. How did you find that? And did you think it was as helpful as you thought it would be? Yeah, it's, um, it's a bit of a weird uh, thing to say that you've done, I guess. That's but um, it's, uh, you know, talking to a lot of my uh, first year friends at the time who I lived with in halls who weren't doing medicine and they were like, oh, how was your day? And you're like, oh yeah, we just went and did this dissection of a dead person. <laughs> Um, it's it's a strange thing, but I think it's a huge privilege to be able to do. You know, these people have donated their bodies for us to learn from. And right. I think if you go into it with the right attitude of, you know, you're going to fulfill their kind of wish to teach people, um, then you can get a huge amount out of it. Uh, I'm quite a practical person and quite a practical learner. So I think reading about it, and also then seeing it and having the hands-on kind of going, oh yeah, so that bit is there in relation to that and connects to this. And it, it for me, it made a lot of sense, um, but people who have different approaches to learning may not find it as useful, but you know, it's, it's something that I'm very glad that we got to do. Yeah, definitely. So if you could pick another career path that you would have taken if not medicine, what do you think it would be? Uh, that depends on whether uh, money is an object, I guess. Um, if money was no object, I would happily do something that meant you could spend all day, every day outdoors. Um, you know, something fairly remote and rural. I had always thought about doing uh, wildlife photography um, as a career, uh, but that quickly diminished and um, I realized it probably wasn't that easy to get will be successful in um, but it's maybe something that you know if, if someone said that you could do it and didn't have to worry about how much money you'd get paid that may be something I'd do go to some amazing places see some amazing animals <laughs> yeah so um what do you predict will be the biggest issues for the next generation of doctors 
Wow. Um, so I think I think a there's going to be a huge amount of change over the next probably ten years or so, probably around the privatisation of various sections of the NHS and to do with paying contracts and and things like that. And I think that um, it's going to be difficult for junior doctors um, and yeah, it's, it's going to add a whole new sort of level of, of complexity to it. The contract as it is, is um, it's basically designed so that you don't really know what you're signing up for. Um, right. But I think that, you know, that's going to be the, the biggest sort of source of contention over the next 10 years will be uh, junior doctor hours, pay, contract related stuff. Um, the hours are much better than they used to be um going to the, sort of the generation before me um but i think uh, you know as sections of the nhs end up getting privatized there'll be a pull for the doctors remain working in the nhs do, do you go to work for a private company uh, and I, I think you know if it does end up going down that route then there may be a sort of two-tier health system like there is in America and then there's this sort of moral versus financial dilemma of do you get paid more and work in the top tier or do you actually you know commit some time into looking after people who can't afford private right. healthcare. So how many hours are you doing at the moment? Uh, so it does vary quite a lot week to week depending on right. the on calls. Um, it, it averages out at sort of 48 hours a week um, but some weeks it's more than that, some weeks it's less than that uh, but yeah it's sort of average 48 hours a week. So have there been any particular highlights of your career so far? Um, so that's, it's a difficult one, there are lots of highlights, every day has some highlights there are a few uh, cases that really stand out to me and um, there are some that stand out for the right reasons, some for the wrong reasons and um, everyone will have their, everyone will remember specific patients and specific events that occur during their career. Um, there have been some, some really nice moments with families where you've been very involved in the care of one of their relatives and um you know the, the families are very grateful even if the outcome isn't necessarily what you were hoping for you know they're very grateful for for the time and effort that you put in and those kind of moments where they're obviously very upset about the, the situation but are still very grateful and, and and you'd sit down and you talk to them and and things like that those kind of moments really stick with you because you realize that you make such a huge impact on people's lives um and although it sounds quite corny to say that but you, you really do no definitely you know, it's, it's really like, important dealing with life and death almost especially in the a &E. so i completely understand very emotional when you're especially relatives and everything so how would you deal uh with facing uh, a dilemma when the course of action isn't clear-cut especially in the a &E, dealing with such high stake things how would you deal with making a decision like that so I think the the most important resource that you have in that situation is your colleagues and uh, externalizing what you're thinking and sort of there's a phrase that I always go back to that I find quite useful which is 
sharing the mental model. So the, the idea that you have in your head of where things are at the minute and where they're going and what you think you should do, especially in an emergency when you've got to act quickly. If you can share what you're thinking with everyone else, then someone might suggest something that you've not thought of or someone might go, well, don't you think that actually this is the cause, not that, and we should do this. And, and or even just people agreeing with you and saying, I think the same thing. You know, it's very reassuring to talk to your colleagues and go, just bounce this idea off them and go, oh, this person has this wrong with them. I think we should do this. And they go, I completely agree. Then suddenly you feel a lot more reassured than if you're just making a decision on your own. So my go-to would be discuss it with a senior, um, you know, consultant on call or a, a more experienced registrar uh, in the department or in a peer, you know, just go, I just want a second opinion on this. Um, so understandably, that... sometimes things can also go wrong. So how would you deal with the fact that if you, you might have thought that you might have made an error or some kind of mistake, how would you deal with that? I think it's it's important to know and remember that things can go wrong even with your best intentions and everyone makes mistakes. No one wants to make a mistake, but you know everyone does. Um, and the best thing that you can do is uh, kind of debrief about it, speak to people, go through the sequence of events and, and work out where things went wrong and uh, what you could have done differently, how you could have approached it differently, whether it was just an unfortunate inevitable event you know if, if a patient dies sometimes you're doing all the right things and they're, they're always going to die unfortunately um but sometimes there might be things that you feel like you've missed so yeah just going through and and in icu we do uh, a monthly meeting where we go through some difficult cases where things maybe could have gone differently and and there's a thought that you know things may not have happened at the right time and we go through all those cases and we go you know which areas did we do well which areas didn't we do well um what could we have done differently would it change the outcome those kind of things and i think that's really important so that you don't kind of take that worry and that guilt and everything home with you as like once have i missed this did i do that right you know, so just debriefing with people uh at the time of the event and also then you know, after you've had a bit of time to think about it, maybe a week or so down the line, have another chat, make sure that you know, everyone's on the same page. Right. So what actually drew you to intensive care? Was it a defining moment in med school or did it happen after that? Um, there's been a few, uh, a few sort of things along the way that um, made me want to do it. Uh, one of which was I... I arranged a an SSC which is like student selected component at med school uh, with the East Anglian Air Ambulance um, so we get to basically spend six weeks doing a placement that we've arranged ourselves uh, and I thought that it was a specialty that uh, you know you don't get any exposure to at med school um, it, like pre-hospital medicine type thing and um, it was something that I'd been aware of and kind of interested in anyway and I did this six-week placement with um with East Anglian Air Ambulance and and basically every day I came home and was like that was awesome I'll, I want to do that yeah. um and one of the ways into air ambulance stuff is through anesthetics uh and so then I kind of got more interested in anesthetics and doing anesthetics so later on in 
medical school and then through my foundation years I worked closely with a couple of anaesthetists in Sheffield who did a lot of pre-hospital stuff but also worked in intensive care uh, so then I got a bit of exposure to ICU and realised that actually there's a lot of really cool stuff happening in the hospital it's not all in the helicopters and stuff um, and uh, yeah that drew me to, to ICU really. So before that, what were your initial reasons for wanting to go into medicine and studying it? Um, I, I kind of have always thought since, I don't know, it must have been quite a young age that I'd probably end up doing medicine. Um, my, my parents are medical, so I've always had that kind of medical conversation around me growing up. I've always been really interested in sciences and biology and, and uh, that side of things. Um, I think it was just being uh, interested in the subject and um, yeah, wanting to, to learn more. I think um, I was probably a little bit, um, yeah, naive about how broad medicine can be after med school. Right. Uh, so going into it, I was thinking, you know, there's obviously medics and there's surgeons and there's GPs, there's different specialties in the hospital, but actually it, it can take you basically anywhere, um, which is one of the real selling points of medicine, but it's not one that I was particularly aware of before I went in. Um, I went in mainly through just interest in the subject area um, and uh, interest in people and um, yeah I, I couldn't the good thing is that I couldn't imagine doing anything else which means that I'm probably doing the right thing. Definitely so what do you think with that in mind are the right and wrong reasons for wanting to go into medicine? Um, I definitely think there are some right and some wrong reasons. The wrong reasons are probably easier to identify than the right reasons uh, don't go into medicine because your parents want you to go into it. Don't go into it if you want to be a millionaire. <laughs> um, don't go into it if you want to have a stress-free life because none of those things are going to work out really. Um, but there are, there's some, you have to want to do it. You have to be interested in the subject. There's a lot of, a lot of baggage that comes with medicine, particularly after med school, once you start working and as you become more senior and take on more responsibility, there's a lot of stress, there's a lot of um, extra things that you think, oh, this is not what I signed up for, you know, these aren't part of the job, but they are part of the job. And, um, and unless you're really interested and committed to the job, then I think that those things could build up quite quickly and uh, really put you off and make you resent coming into work, which is not what you want, you know, you want to enjoy going to work. And there are days, obviously, when you, you aren't going to enjoy work, but that you should overall, yeah, have some job satisfaction, I think. Um, so, yeah, I don't particularly see medicine as a, a like a vocation. You know, people say, oh, it's a, it's a cool thing. You know, you, you have to commit your life to it. You don't have to commit your life to it. You can have a life outside medicine easily, but you have to be sufficiently interested in the subject to do it, I think, and to commit as much time and effort as you will have to commit to it to succeed. Right, I agree, because I think uh, with me, uh, for example, um, a few years ago when I just decided I wanted to go into medicine, for example, my little sister now wants to go into law, 
and it's all very glamorous when you look at it from that point of view and you perhaps don't realize what the real jobs are and what uh, the real duties are and the stress etc like you say so i'd agree with you so in your job at the moment what would you say are the most challenging aspects of it i think the the most challenging aspect of icu is often dealing with the families of the patients because um you know for them their relative coming to intensive care is like a huge life event for them so there's lots of emotions and tensions are running high and people may not agree with what you're doing or what you're saying and so some of the families can be uh, definitely a challenge to kind of um, bring them around to understanding what exactly is going on and what exactly is happening especially if things are looking like they they might not turn around for the patient and, and they're looking you know it's looking pretty serious uh, sometimes it takes a bit of time for relatives to kind of get on board with that idea and it can be a, a real challenge and you don't want to be super negative all the time with these people uh, and, and be like the bearer of bad news and things but it's um, unfortunately that's part of the job some of the time um, so yeah most of the time the patients are relatively understanding even the ones who you know obviously some of the patients are asleep on a ventilator but the ones that are awake often understand that they're quite unwell um, by the time they get to intensive care but sometimes the relatives don't quite see it um, and and that can be challenging um, there can also be some challenges working with other specialties so other specialties might have an idea of what they think you should do in intensive care for, for their their patient right. um, but actually you know they may not understand the ins and outs of ICU quite as well uh, so we try and work with specialties get some advice off them for their specialty and their their patients but it, equally you know we have to sometimes say well this is you know what we do and we know what's best but um yeah it's, it, there are challenges but most of them get resolved fairly easily so a lot of the challenges that you mentioned are just dealing with people and understanding how you know people's emotions like i'm sure a lot of the families are just looking for something to blame and obviously it might not be directed uh, in the right place so i'd definitely say people skills are important in medicine would you say that's the most important thing for you yeah exactly yeah it's um i think if you can be an approachable uh figure and you know compassionate and nice to these people you instantly take away a lot of that tension um and uh it's quite easy i think to get into a bit of a blame game at times and for for then people to get their backs up and get a bit defensive because you know we're taking the brunt of the blame and it's often not anybody's fault that anything's gone wrong right. um so i think yeah people skills are huge but not only dealing with with relatives and patients but dealing with colleagues you know you're working in a huge infrastructure with loads and loads of people uh, doing loads and loads of different jobs and you're going to come across people who you don't agree with or you don't get on with but you still have to work with so yeah people skills is a huge part of medicine um definitely so why did you choose to work in the nhs and not somewhere else until you're a very senior registrar or a consultant you can't really work 
anywhere other than in the NHS in the UK. Uh, you can go abroad and work elsewhere, but um, yeah, I mean, the NHS is an amazing thing. It's, it's got its flaws, obviously, but it is incredible. Uh, the amount of sort of treatment that it delivers every year to people um, is, is amazing. I think that even if I had the choice at the minute, I would still work for the NHS because you know, you're putting in your time and effort with the sort of hope that if you needed treatment in the future, you'd get it back. Um, right. Yeah, it's uh, it does it does feel like it's a uh, a pretty unique thing, and it's definitely um, one of the best healthcare setup or ideas in the world. It may not always run according to plan, but it's um, yeah, it's pretty remarkable. How do you see the practice in England um, of medicine changing in the future? Um, unfortunately, I think that it may start to head towards American systems. Um, we, you can see already that sort of defensive medicine is coming in a lot more over here. So the kind of Sioux culture in America is starting to make its way over to the UK. Um, people who were unhappy, threatening, you know, legal action and, and things against you or the trust or, um, yeah, the NHS. So I think that, unfortunately, yeah, being very defensive and kind of, you know, doing every test possible just to cover everything um, is starting to creep in a bit more than just doing what's actually needed, uh, which is a shame and not very cost effective. Um, and yeah, there's definitely areas where the NHS is um, going more and more sort of uh, independent or private. You know, some of the um, big health providers from the US are buying up little bits of the NHS. Uh, but yeah, it's really hard to tell. It's, um, it'd be a shame if it does go that way, but uh, it may do over the next you know, 10, 20 years. So maybe less in the ICU, but have you started to feel that pressure, maybe doing more tests and everything just that, that, that are necessary? I think even in ICU, we end up doing things that aren't always essential, but are just to kind of cover our backs to say we've done them. Um, yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's not too bad at the minute, but it's definitely becoming more of a thing. And um, I think, yeah, there's always that thought in the back of your head of, uh would if it were to go to like a court scenario would someone go well why haven't you done x y and z and would you be able to to really kind of uh back your judgment and say well i didn't think we needed to do it um so yeah that definitely crosses your mind at times so do you love what you do uh yeah i do i maybe i'm weird for saying that but i i really enjoy my job I really enjoy going to work and the, the sort of variety that you get in ICU, the sort of, you know, you get the sickest of the sick patients in the hospital and there you get some really interesting cases some really weird and wonderful diseases. Um, and yeah, it's, it's just a great, great place to work. There's a great team. The department are great. Uh, all the nurses are like really nice and it's, um, uh, it's a good atmosphere and uh, you feel like you do make a difference to a lot of people because like I say, you know, these, these people are 
pretty unwell and for the family you know it's a big big deal and so if you do manage to make someone a bit better then it's a huge accomplishment um yeah I I, I love what I do and I've got one last question for you today and that's if you could pick any superpower what would it be not related to medicine it can be anything you want <laughs> wow um I'd love to be able to teleport. I, I fed up with having to travel places. You know, if you could just go, oh, I'm going to go on holiday for a week and then you could just appear on holiday instead of having to spend a day of your annual leave traveling and then the day traveling back. You know, you could maximize your time massively by just disappearing and appearing near the other side of the world. Or something. I think that's, that's what I want. <laughs> that's great. Well, thank you so much for your time today. You're welcome. Thanks. Thank you so much.